This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Derek Chauvin's murder trial. I'll confess, my wife and I both got teary. Uh, and I don't know why, because I suspected that he was going to be found guilty on all the charges. And I'm sure if I felt that in the tears, I'm sure that you felt much the same. Am I right? Actually, no. I did not feel emotional at all about why? that. And part of the reason for it is because I know that this relief that you and other people feel is going to be gone tomorrow. It probably was gone yesterday. Coming up. Up in this episode of Colors. Burlington, Vermont is more than 80% white. The last time I was called the N-word was in 1996 in Mankato, Minnesota, and I remember it because you remember stuff like that. Here in Vermont is more a frequent uh, word that is tossed in my direction. Taisha Green, as you may have surmised, is an African-American, and she's not just a resident of Burlington, Vermont. She is the Director of Racial Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging longing for the city. I get a lot of support from white community members, but I would say 20 to 30 percent of the time, I get very negative comments from the white community um, who don't appreciate my my presence in their state. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And welcome to Colors. Chris, Burlington is a city in Vermont. And in 2020, the population was about 43,000. It's the largest city in Vermont, the 908th largest city in the country. The population there is 85% white, 5.7% Asian, 5.7% Black or African American, two or more races, 2.77% and other race. This is the, the way the statistics are read or laid out 0.28%. Taisha Green is Burlington's first director of racial equality, inclusion, and belonging. And she's joining us today. Welcome to the program, Taisha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I want to start my first question, and it's about your title. We spoke before and you said to me the word diversity is missing by design from your title. Why? I chose to remove the word diversity from my title because diversity implies that there is a standard. Because if you ask that you want your department or your city or, you know, your job space to to be more diverse, you have to ask yourself diverse from what? And that means different from whiteness. And 
to me, that implies that whiteness is the standard that every everybody else should be measured by. And in order to get to inclusion and belonging, you can't have a standard uh, because it doesn't leave room for inclusion and belonging. So I removed the term diversity because of that. And I wanted to center my work on racial equity, inclusion and belonging. I wanted it to be racial equity, racial inclusion, and racial belonging, but that would have been too long. It's already teetering on a pretty long. <laughs> um, your business card is very wide, yeah. Um, <laughs> when JJ and I talked about this, JJ described it as perhaps the whitest city in the country. Um, I don't know if it technically is, but it's it's with that breakdown of what he just said, it's it's uh, it's pretty white. Does that make your job more difficult or less difficult? And I say that because if you're trying to have racial equity in a city with a very large black and white population, Chicago, just as an example, be a much different task than it would be in a town like Burlington. Can you kind of define that for me? Oh, yes, Chris. Uh, I think it makes the job harder because there's a more pushback um, if, if people feel like something is not broken, they don't want you trying to fix it. And I think that the people in Burlington are very comfortable in the fact that they are a majority white population and they're very comfortable um, with the fact that they can see themselves reflected in everywhere that you go in Burlington. The problem is though, Chris, is that the black and brown people here don't have that same feeling that they feel like they belong in the city and that they're a part of the process. And so anything that I do for the city of Burlington gets a lot of pushback because people don't understand why I'm doing it, why I'm bringing so much change to what they deem a very comfortable life. And a lot more than just pushback is what you're getting. Um, What are some of the reactions you're getting uh, from the Burlington residents uh, when they engage with you and um, just in general? You know, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think that uh, the majority of the time I get some positive information and positive feedback, but there's about that 20 to 30% of the time where it's not positive, where there are racial slurs, where I have been called the N-word on several occasions. It's a regular, regular occurrence here. And so um, wow. I try to focus on the 70 or 80% of the time where I'm getting really good feedback and positive fe- feedback and not so much on the negative, but it's really hard to do. Um, that word, the N word, really cuts you to the core. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times I hear it. Do you hear that? Um, Are you telling me you hear that on the streets of Burlington, Vermont on a regular basis? Nobody has called it to me in my face. No, I mean, <laughs> um, not to my face, but uh, I have had messages on my my work cell phone and emails really? with that with that um, hurled at me, but not to my face. No, you know, and what's surprising about that is Burlington, Vermont, is one of the most politically liberal cities in the country. Bernie Sanders was the mayor at one point. Um, I mean, it's again, and, you know, I've been flabbergasted by this a lot, um, that there would be pockets of that kind of vitriolic racism in a place like Burlington, Vermont. Just it surprises me a lot. I disagree with that sentiment, Chris. Um, I feel like that is a lie that Burlington or Vermont at large is is a liberal and progressive place. It is not. 
it is probably the the least liberal place that I've ever lived. And I, um, mm. one of the questions that I asked in a meeting recently was who started that lie? Mm. Because me coming from the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis, that's how everyone saw Vermont and Burlington. Oh, that's going to be so progressive. It's going to be yeah. so great. It is not that way when you're living in this state. Um, and so I, I do challenge people when they, when they say that because it is a lie that has been um, longstanding, kind of like how America is the moral authority of the world. <laughs> That's a lie that has been longstanding and it's not the truth. And I would say the same applies here in Vermont, that Burlington is not the liberal progressive place that the rest of the country thinks that it is. So let what me ask your, this what question. Was your job in, in Minneapolis? In Minneapolis, I was in IT for the most part. Um, I was an IT professional for more than 20 years um, before coming to Burlington, but also working on racial equity initiatives at, at any organization that I, that I worked in. And the reason I bring that up is because when the whole George Floyd thing happened, uh, JJ and I started these podcasts and it surprised me because, again, I think of Minnesota and Minneapolis in particular as being a very progressive city. And I guess I'm wrong about that, too, or not. I do think that Minneapolis has some progressive values. Um, definitely. I think that. um and this is a saying that I, I know one of my former professors wrote an article about this recently, that Minneapolis is a great place to live if you're white. It is. It's, it's absolutely uh, a great place to live for white people and white progressives and white liberals. But by every um, measure, if you are black, you have a, a very hard time in Minneapolis as far as wealth attainment, income, equality. Um, education and from every spectrum, you have a hard time and in Minneapolis if you're black. But if you're white, um, it is, it looks, it appears, as far as what I can see, it appears to be a very, very great place. I think that I've been very lucky to um, live as a poor person in Minneapolis and live as a upper middle class person in Minneapolis. So I've, I've been able to see both sides um, and it is a great place if you have the means um, mm -hmm. to make it so. And if your skin color um, is a little less melanated, <clears throat> it is a great place for you. Let me ask you this question. I was going to ask this before the Minneapolis piece came up, but um, living in Vermont, you've already explained that, you know, a good 70 percent of the people there seem to embrace what you're doing and, and you. Um, the others aren't. Uh, and you've said essentially that the people that choose to call you names do it. They don't do it to your face. How uh, would you describe your interactions with face-to-face -face interactions with people uh, officially and otherwise in the state of Vermont compared to other places you've lived? Yeah, I feel like I'm coming from another world, not another country. Hmm. But another world, I when I walk the streets of Burlington or go into stores, I am treated as if I am a Martian. Hmm. Um, and that's the feeling that I get what, from the stares and the glares and 
um, people kind of rushing to the side to to not share a space with me. How long it, have you been there? A year. I've been here a year. Hmm. Are you sorry you moved? <laughs> that is a trick question, and this is being recorded. <laughs> well, I'm asking that because if you feel that way, uh, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable living that way. And again, it does it does cause, come as a surprise to me because uh, the way Vermont votes, at least their members of Congress, uh, you don't think of it as being anywhere near like you describe it. I mean, um, I mean, probably the most liberal person ever to run for president is Bernie Sanders. And I mean, that's his hometown. So I'm I'm what you're telling me really is new. I'm glad you told me. Thank you for disabusing me of my view of Vermont. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce may be calling us later, but uh, nonetheless. <laughs> well, yeah, let's let's talk about the members of Congress who are, who are in Congress who I mean, I, I Peter Welsh reaches out to me on a very regular basis. I, I speak to Senator Leahy's team a lot. I have yet to hear from Bernie or Bernie's team. But the in Vermont, there's only been white men elected to Congress. Wow. Ever. <laughs> you know what? Vermont, you know, Burlington's got some work to do. And, you know, it's a good thing that you're there. And part of that work is Juneteenth. Uh, and when a, a mutual friend of ours who uh, told me about you and uh, introduced us was elated over the, the fact that you're actually organizing a Juneteenth celebration there. You know, I think most folks know what that is, but uh, would you just for our audience who may not explain what that is and what you're doing to organize a celebration around it? Definitely. So Juneteenth is what we call in, in black spaces, Freedom Day. Um, it is celebrated in the same way um, as the 4th of July for the black community. Juneteenth is when is June 19th, um, 1865, when the military went into um, different towns in Texas to inform the enslaved people that they were free and that they had been free for two years. Um, their slaveholders never told them that. So they were the, as far as I understand, the last of the, the freed enslaved people uh, when that happened on June 19th. And so those former, formerly enslaved deemed that day Juneteenth to kind of mix in June and 19th together. And in Minneapolis, we have a Juneteenth celebration every year. And it's something that I was very used to. But when I came to Burlington, I realized that there was no city-sponsored Juneteenth event and that most people had no idea what Juneteenth was and, and why it's important. So the event here is going to focus on that education so that people understand um, what actually happened on June 19th, why it's even more so important than Independence Day. And um, we're going to do that in a safe and responsible and fun way. We're going to have entertainment, like I said, education. Uh, we have a theater company coming from New Jersey. We have free food, which is something that's not typically done at Juneteenth. Most, most Juneteenths you have to pay to enjoy. Um, because this is our first one, I want to set up a system that, we, that the community does not have to pay to enjoy Juneteenth because I feel like they've missed out on over a hundred years worth of Juneteenth celebrations. And I want to be able to provide that to the city for free. That's a great idea. Taisha, uh, you're, you're paid by the city of Burlington, correct? 
Yes. So what possessed them decide uh, to decide to have this position in Burlington? Did somebody there recognize the problem or um, what what awoke them from this apparently um, uh, backward racial slumber they were in? <laughs> as far as I understand, the activist community um, demanded that there be a racial equity um, department at the city. And they um, they lobbied for it with at the city council. Uh, they had hours upon hours of public comment talking about the racism that they experienced and that there's nowhere for them to go. Um, and, and nobody is creating programs uh, for the black and the brown community to feel like they belong here. So I know that it was a, a position that was created by force by the community um, who would not leave those city council meetings until it became so. Um, I didn't know that whole background when I applied to the job, but um, as I've been here for the past year, I've been learning more and more about how this this position came to be and why it was so important for the black and brown community here to have this department be a part of the city structure. You know, I'm looking at what you're talking about here and the enthusiasm that you're bringing to this this task and this job that you have and looking at the fact that the city of Burlington is trying to move forward. Uh, and I'm hopeful that they will be successful uh, in doing that um, well beyond this particular piece of, 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 of moving forward in this era that we live in. I'm kind of interested to, to know, though, um, you know, the people, and, and forgive me if I keep harping on this, the people that have not been embraced this, uh, I'm just kind of trying to figure out how strong is that? Uh, sentiment, considering that I get the sense that a lot of people are, as you say, when you go into stores, people just kind of look at you like you're a Martian. So I'm kind of trying to get my head around how much really is Burlington embracing this or is this a government issue that people are just going to have to get with whether they like it or not? Great question. Great question. I think it's both. It's a government issue that people are going to have to get with whether they want to or not. And, you know, I, I guess I would describe it as being highly visible and also highly invisible at the same time. Hmm. It is an awkward dynamic because you step outside of your house and you're highly visible. Everyone notices you because there's not very many of us here. And and it's all, always almost like being instantly criminalized, um, instantly wow. seen as a threat um, just by the mere fact of walking out of your front door. Wow. But as far as like the programs and the things that make life worth living in a city, uh, the community, finding community, those things is, are what make you invisible because those things are not for you. And so it's, it's a very weird dynamic. And so my focus here is to shift culture, to create places of belonging, to create um, places of authenticity so that I don't have to show up as an assimilated version of myself. I can show up as Taisha and bring all of Taisha into that space because that's where my power lies. My power does not lie 
in assimilating to an already existing culture, does that, that does not work for me. And it never has. Our power, our collective power lie in removing the standard of whiteness so that everyone can thrive. Do you get this? Uh, how did you, how did you get this job? Did, did they search, <laughs> did they find you or did you, were you looking through the want ads or something? I mean, how, I, it, it's such an unusual fit based on what you told me about your experience back in Minnesota, going to this uh, almost all white town to do this. Uh, what, how did that happen? That's a really good question. I don't remember applying to this job, Chris. Hmm. <laughs> I remember I, I turned this job down four times because I did not want to move here. Um, but one of my friends said to me, you know, do you want to make systemic change or do you want to put out fires? Because another position that I had been offered at the same time um, was at an academic institution and basically, I wouldn't be changing systems. I wouldn't be changing institutions. I would just be helping guide black and brown students through that white process. Here, I would be able to make systems change. And when she said that to me, is the reason why I took the job. But I did not think I would take this job at all. When they called, I declined the interview because they hadn't remembered applying to the job in the first <laughs> place. And... And they called again around Christmas time in, in 2019. And they said, you know, we just want to interview you. Just let us interview you. And I did the interview. And afterwards I thought, well, I'm not going to take the job. So that was fun. I mean, it's practice for interviewing for other places. And they called and they wanted me to come to visit Burlington. And I said, no, I could please take my name out of contention. I'm just <laughs> going to move on. And the mayor called me the next day and he said, you know, don't turn your back on us just yet. You know, let us bring you to Burlington. Let us show you a good time. And I thought to myself, well, I've never seen Vermont. I used <laughs> nice to see Vermont just to say, I, at least I've seen it. But I had no intentions, Chris, of taking this job. I thought it was just a free trip. Hmm. And so I took it and I came and, you know, I, I saw Vermont. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. It, the landscape is absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. And when I got on the plane to go back to Minneapolis, I knew I wasn't taking this job. And and so when the, the offer came in, I declined it four times. I'll be darned. Wow. And so I feel like there is some kind of divine intervention here. Yes. I think so. there has to be. Nothing else is explainable. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Bring me here. there are lots of things here that don't to the naked eye or to the to just my trivial, my, uh, or my uh, minuscule mind uh, line up here um, because of what you've just said about them pursuing you without you asking to be pursued or even being aware of them. <laughs> but then, you know, I was looking at your uh, your Twitter feed and you describe yourself as a writer, a poet and an influencer. And I'm wondering how, how do you see yourself now? Because this is, I'm assuming before you took this job, the way that you described yourself, do you still describe yourself that way? Yes, I do. How does I'm a it writer first, definitely a writer first and a poet. And I know even more so now 
being in this position that I'm in here at the city of Burlington, I'm definitely an influencer. And I've definitely been doing a lot of work to shift the culture here. And I can see the fruits of my labor. And I didn't think that I would be able to see them so quickly. That's far- that was that's good. That was my next question. That was my next question. If you were seeing success. And so obviously you are. Yes, I am. I am. So are you, uh, how long do you plan to stay there? Or, or is it, I mean, <laughs> is this home now? Or are you going to stay for a while, do what you can and, and go back to Minnesota? I am going to stay here until God tells me it's time for me to go back home. Well, yeah, and clearly he but, had something to do with your getting there. So I think you might as well listen. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't intend, you know, if if it was just my way and my will, I would not stay here long term, Um, but I will stay here long enough in order to put things in motion that cannot be stopped, regardless of who has this position. That's the goal is to put things in motion that cannot be stopped to achieve racial equity and inclusion. I don't I don't do this very often, but (laughs) yeah, I don't have to (laughs) join in. Round round of applause. I mean, uh, that I don't you couldn't be put more beautifully than that. And you obviously are the right person at the right time, in the right place, and divine or what other intervention it was. Um, boy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. How interesting! What a what a very interesting guest. Yes, and we have to thank Roz Whitaker Heck for this for this oh. introduction. And uh, she was the person that introduced me to Taisha, and uh, I introduced Taisha to you, and we introduced Taisha to our audience, and hopefully they will talk about her and keep this uh, keep this vibe going, and hopefully we'll uh, circle back and see how things are going, Taisha. That sounds great. Sounds great. It was great meeting you both, um, and I look forward to having more conversations with you in the near future. You're listening to Colors. My name is Jose Pereira. As an immigrant from Portugal, I owe a lot to this country, of which I became a citizen back in 2001. I cannot recall any incident where I felt discriminated against that I'm aware of. My own encounters with police have been related to driving offenses, mostly speeding, even though the thought of blue lights and sirens behind you can be terrifying. My first thought always has been, how much is this gonna cost me? and I never felt fearful for my life. Up until a few years ago, I really thought that this was the same experience for everyone out there. Having married a strong black woman opened up my eyes to a different way of thinking. We have a long way to go, and I must admit that a few years ago when the Black Lives Matter movement started, I used to say, all lives matter. Now, I understand the need to say, Black Lives Matter at this time, since white lives have always mattered. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. You know, talking to Taisha Green was eye-opening even to me um, because a lot of the things she talked about were thought-provoking. Um, the, the use of the word diversity Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, some time ago you mentioned that you were going to stop using the word slaves and start using the word have, enslaved people. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's enslaved. It's clearly it's yeah. uh, 
It's an adjective. It's not a noun. And then this thing with diversity has got me thinking about that as well. But the thing that really sort of really got my brain going was her discussion about working there. And clearly the, the city went all out to try to get her there. Yeah. And she's there and she, she's got this vibe going where, you know, they, they want to move forward and everybody seems to be, you know, as you said, politically liberal and, you know, embracing and this, that and the other. But then she gets the kinds of hate mail that she gets. And people, when she goes into stores, just kind of look at her, as she said, like she's a Martian. And you just kind of wonder, you know, what I wonder all the time. What are people really thinking when they yeah, see I know me? you do? And, and this is a good example of what we've talked about, uh, because, I, I, you know, I make assumptions based on really based on politics in this case. I mean, again, we'll go back to Bernie Sanders, a former mayor of Burlington. Uh, and, you know, he's always been a socialist and he, and he gets reelected over and over and over again. Um, and so you would make a if you if you're going to be just sort of assuming something, you'd say, well, it's a very politically liberal state. Um, and clearly it is the way they vote, but apparently not the way they act. And I'm, I wonder part of that, J.J., is. They just not have have enough exposure to minorities because I grew up in a town that was at the time I grew up probably ninety some percent white, and but I don't recall there being that kind of vitriol um, toward the black people who lived there. There may have been, and I was unaware of it. I mean, I was really only friends with a couple of kids, uh, but I never heard it. And so I'm just sort of and that's in Iowa. I mean, it's not a particularly liberal or conservative. It's just, you know, kind of middle America. So um, to hear this in a, a sophisticated place like Burlington, Vermont, was very uh, startling for me. I just kind of think there is the problem of racism in this country is much more deeply ingrained than we thought. Um, but I also think, too, though, that what we saw in the aftermath of George Floyd's death with the Black Lives Matter movement explosion, there were so many more people that weren't black on the streets yeah, protesting. That yeah, you've, 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 you've expressed surprise by that uh, a lot of times. I'm kind of curious why. But the point that I'm making is that to me is the hope that even though I believe that there is this deep seated race issue going on, even in places where we think they don't have one, that that is the, is the real fix. You know, it's, it's not me as a black man going out there and, and, and protesting, you know, and, and me and other people of color going out there and protesting. It's people who are not of color. Mm-hmm. That that will ultimately make the difference, you know. And this is the thing that I think is most important about that. I agree. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to us at thecolorspodcast at gmail dot com. In the meantime, I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm JJ Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Patrick Skinner is a white police officer in Savannah, Georgia. The crime rate there is considerably higher than the national average. 
There's also another problem there. I'm very aware of the terrible history of policing in America. I mean, it is a racist you know, history, especially in the South. And before Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. I wouldn't take any criticism personally because I thought that was how I should do my job because that's how you don't get angry. But after it happened, the whole murder, I mean, it's on video and you're watching it and there's cops standing there. And then there's this reflexive circle of the wagons, you know, he, he, he may have done something wrong. Uh, then I realized, I know I need to take this personally. And if you read the Washington Post opinion section, you know exactly how personal this former CIA case officer is taking everything. And we will discuss what he's doing about it. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, another show is in the bag, and we want to say thank you. Thanks to Roz Whitaker Heck, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Maura Moran, Shelby Steele, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Sergeant Major of the Army, Michael Grinston, Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, Sean Anderson, Brennan Hazelton, Peggy Byard, Charles Height, Sue Rushkowski. Thanks to Christine Brennan. And for our music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, thank you for listening. And remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.